Welcome to Garden DC, the podcast about everything gardening in the Washington DC and Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Kathy Gents. I'm the editor of Washington Gardener Magazine, and we're aimed at gardening enthusiasts, people who grow everything from edibles to ornamentals, natives to exotics. If it grows in our area, that's what we talk about. Welcome to episode 166 of the Garden DC podcast. In this episode, we chat with John Tronfield, Program Director of the UMD Home and Garden Information Center, all about growing figs. The plant profile is on Cleome, and we share what's going on in the garden, as well as some upcoming local gardening events in the What's New segment. We close out with Dr. Alan Armitage, who returns to share the last word on critters. This episode, we're joined by John Tronfeld, Program Director of the University of Maryland Home and Garden Information Center, and we're going to be talking to him all about growing figs. Welcome, John. Oh, thanks, Kathy. It's lovely to be here. Great to have you. So, John, I've known you I want to say since I was a baby gardener, but maybe not that long, (laughs) (laughs) but for years and wonderful to finally have you on the podcast. Yeah, it's really a thrill for me. And we are big fans of you and Washington Gardener, Kathy, and appreciate all that uh, you've done to teach and promote gardening in the DMV. Thanks so much, John. And you've done so much work too, which we're going to get into in a second. Um, So, at the Garden DC podcast, we like to ask if you were born with chlorophyll in your veins and a green thumb, or did that come later in life? Uh, maybe a little bit of both. I grew up um, in an urban neighborhood in Queens, and um, my dad always planted one tomato plant and a few marigolds. That was the extent of the gardening, although a lot of people in my neighborhood had um, a fruit tree in the backyard, and we had a, a tart cherry, which I remember very fondly, and also remember seeing figs growing, both uh, during the growing season, and uh, I remember them tied down to the ground in the wintertime. So in Queens, New York, is that zone six or so? Uh, (laughs) I would say six or six B, maybe six B. So um, maybe a little bit more um, protection for figs needed in yes. six than here in seven. And we'll get into that in a yeah, bit for our yeah. Mid-Atlantic gardeners. And probably things have changed over the years too. Yeah. Um, so after your childhood in Queens, uh, where did you go to college? Did you get pursue a horticultural degree? No, actually I went to Grinnell College in Iowa and um, my degree was in American studies with a minor in biology. And then I um, earned a master's degree in agricultural extension education at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and um, also became a vegetable grower in East and Middle Tennessee, um, and also managed a small vegetable marketing cooperative um, while I was in Tennessee. And then in the late 80s, moved back to the um, Mid-Atlantic, My family had moved to Maryland when I was in junior high school, and I was really happy to come back um, uh, and started my career with the University of Maryland Extension in 1989. 
Wow. And so what position did you start with uh, at University of Maryland? Sure. I was in Baltimore City in the uh, extension office there, and I was the urban garden coordinator. So I worked with a team. Um, we went out and helped people uh, organize and develop community gardens on vacant lots, um, including nutrition classes. And um, that was part of a larger USDA program that existed in uh, 23 different cities across the U.S. So that was really exciting and also co-ran um, the Master Gardener program in Baltimore City with Wanda McLaughlin and um, saw a lot of fig trees. In fact, uh, I was really surprised. I saw mo more fig trees in my first few years in Baltimore than I had seen in 12 years living in Tennessee. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, after um, working in the city, I came out to uh, the Central Maryland Research and Education Center, and that's in Howard County, and it is where the uh, Home and Garden Information Center and the State Master Gardener office are located. So I came out, I was an extension specialist in community food production and served as the State Master Gardener coordinator, and then after a number of years, I became the director of HGIC, and we have a relatively new state master gardener coordinator uh, since 2019. Steph Pulley has been uh, the leader for our master gardener program. Hmm. And we've had um, some past master gardener heads and extension people on the podcast but maybe really quickly talk about the relationship of the USDA to the extension and the agricultural-based colleges like University of Maryland. Sure. Well, so University of Maryland is a land-grant university, and as all other land-grant universities, we have an extension service. Um, we're called University of Maryland Extension, so we do receive federal dollars uh, through USDA as well as state and local dollars. And Extension is the outreach education arm of the College of Agriculture and Natural Resources. So we have you know, undergraduate and graduate instruction on campus. We have our ag experiment station uh, facilities. And then Extension um, you know, is the third leg of that stool. So I'm sh hopefully a lot of your listeners know about, you know, the Master Gardener program, all the support we give to um, ag producers in the state, our 4-H youth development program, family and consumer, uh, serve, uh, family and consumer sciences, excuse me. Uh, we also do a lot of work in the nutrition area through SNAP-Ed and FNEP, Expanded Food and Nutrition Education Program. Hmm. And I do find the general public still has confusion over the master gardener title a little bit. They think it's like master plumber or master electrician. <laughs> sure. Well, you know, that name was selected and for good or bad, it, it has been the name. Um, I think it's been a wonderful program. In fact, I think this is the 50th anniversary, if that if I'm not mistaken, of the program um, this year. And so Master Gardener volunteers receive 40 hours at a minimum of training from the university, and then they're lifelong learners. So after basic training, they're 
continually improving their skills and their knowledge through classes and workshops and, um, you know, are out there helping people solve problems at plant clinics. We have a big Grow It, Eat It program that promotes and teaches food gardening. Um, we, you know, are out there, Baywise landscaping program, helping people uh, develop pollinator and native plant gardens. So a lot of really important work that's addressing a lot of, uh, of the big issues that we're facing. Mm-hmm. And it's mainly on a volunteer basis. They're sure. earning hours. Um, yep. I think yep. it's depends on the master gardener program, but usually required a hundred hours of service or something in that area per year. Yeah. There ours is uh, 40 hours in order to become certified in mm-hmm. the, in the first year or so. And then after that, it's 20 hours of service a year to maintain your certification plus 10 hours of continuing education. Hmm. That seems pretty great sweet deal especially you get to hang out with other gardeners and help other people gardening that is right i think that is the the best part of it it's the the continual learning and doing it with other people who are really um as interested as you are in in the different subjects Mm -hmm. right so i wanted to ask a little bit about what you personally grow and like to grow at home before we (laughs) dive into our fig subject Sure. I have a decent sized vegetable garden. I've been in the same location for about 28 years. Um, so I grow a lot of different vegetables. I mean, I, I personally love tomatoes so much that I grow about 30 plants a year and then lots of other vegetables as well. I like to grow garlic. Um, although I've had a bad problem with a a soil borne disease, white rot, which has really cut my yields over the years and I'm going to have to move outside my vegetable garden fence, I think, to grow garden, uh, to grow garlic next year. And I've grown a lot of different small fruits um, over the years and I have had the same fig tree for about 28 years. Hmm. And do you know what variety that fig is? Well, funny you should ask, Kathy. Um, I had uh, the barber that I used um, for a number of years after moving to Baltimore was Italian American. And he gave me a cutting from his tree. And he told me he grew up in little Italy in Baltimore. And he told me that the tree came from Italy. And, but of course he doesn't know, you know, what the cultivar is. And um, it's been a a wonderful tree for us. The fruit looks a lot like the brown Turkey um, fig but uh, really don't know (laughs) exactly what it is. It's sort of like a lot of vegetatively propagated plants have this problem in that there are a lot of varieties that um, go by different names. It's the one variety, but it may have multiple names Mm -hmm. and, um, and that's okay too, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. And I, I hear that story so many times and I have that same thing. I got my fig as a cutting from a very large fig, historic fig in downtown Tacoma Park that was removed because they expanded the fire station and people were extremely upset about losing that tree. So a lot of cuttings were propagated from it, but that was there from, you know, probably Victorian age. So nobody knows exactly what it was, 
Um, so we just have to yeah. guess, and I'm and I'm guessing probably yours is brown turkey and mine is brown turkey yeah, too. <laughs> could be. And we're happy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was going to say that until that day comes, maybe sooner rather than later, that we can pull our phone out of our pocket and do a DNA check, you know, yeah. just by like <laughs> taking a piece of the like little cell or leaf material. I think the day is coming and then we'll be able to say for sure, this is yeah. what it is. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the same things happen with garlic varieties. I think mm-hmm. by doing some DNA fingerprinting, they found that a lot, a lot of varieties are actually many fewer actual varieties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there are so many different names for what basically is like the German white or mm-hmm. purple, purple stripe. Those are just like the two main ones. But yeah. every little town, you know, or hamlet named it for themselves. Sure, sure. <laughs> or yeah. it's like Aunt Betty's purple stripe or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, yeah, it gets that. And I think tomatoes, sometimes that happens, too, with a few of the heirlooms get yeah. named, even though they're the same ones. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about that fig propagation, how we were able to take those cuttings so easily and, and make new plants. Yeah. So figs are great because they are a wonderful pass-along plant. Yes, very easy to propagate. I mean, you can take um, dormant cuttings uh, that are from, you know, two to three-year-old stems and root them. You can, in the spring, take cuttings of new shoots you can actually dig out you know new shoots with some of the root attached Um, you can lay down stems and um, have them propagate that way um, by you know pinning them to the soil and they will root um, you know below the uh, the growing point so very easy plant to uh, to propagate Hmm. is there a best time of year to take cuttings well, I guess it depends on whether or not you want um, to do it when they're dormant. I mean, that is what a lot of people do, but I haven't found really much difference uh, between taking dormant cuttings. Uh, to me, that's a little more trouble because then I've got to deal with them when you know we're not in the growing season, and uh, unless you do it late winter, but even then, it's still kind of cool outside, so you don't want to have to take them indoors um, and you just want to do all the propagation outdoors, I would recommend doing it um, in spring. Hmm. And for a cutting, usually you would say maybe at least a foot long with a growth node on it. Yeah, even, I mean, eight inch cuttings length would be fine. Um, You know, pencil thickness um, and just, uh, you know, you could use anything from a quart size down to a four inch pot. Um, I've used uh, mostly just lightweight, soilless uh, growing mix. The, the important thing really is to make sure that the cuttings are growing with some humidity. So put the cutting you know, in a plastic bag that's got some holes poked in it, um, out, out of the sun, uh, just you know, moisten the root system, let the root system or the, the mix dry out a little bit before you rewater it um, but making sure that the plant's growing uh, with some humidity around it hmm. so maybe could use like one of those two liter plastic bottles with the bottom sure. cut off something oh, yeah. like that or a milk mm-hmm. jug just making a little mini greenhouse but making sure it's vented 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You want to want to have it like completely closed off. Yeah. But yeah. So um, let's turn to other ways we might get a fig. Like you might move into a place and there's a fig tree. and you inherit it that happens a lot there's that way um another way besides going and taking cuttings or having a cutting from somebody else is you might purchase one from a specialty fruit tree seller is there any that you like in particular well we don't recommend specific businesses Mm -hmm. but um i would say i've noticed more and more local nurseries are carrying figs which is good and um i think I have seen some of the better known varieties that are cold hardy, like Brown Turkey, Celeste, um, Hardy Chicago at local garden centers and nurseries. So that would be one place to look. Um, You can certainly go online. Um, There are some small, very specialized uh, fig growers out there um, who, who are propagating and selling figs. And so, yeah, not it wouldn't be very hard to find uh, plants to buy. Mm-hmm. And I find that they're, you know, they're not too expensive. Maybe twenty five dollars for a one gallon pot of like, I'm gonna say a one to two year old tree. Mm-hmm. It's not. Yeah, that sounds about expensive. right. I mean, I, I've seen them up to sixty dollars for less um, popular, less well known varieties. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, it can vary quite a bit. And yeah. one thing I would say, we do get people contacting us about fig plants that they they received as a gift. They didn't know the variety. They planted it. And for some reason, no matter what they do, those figs will not ripen, um, mm-hmm. you know, before the end of the summer. And so there are some varieties that are like that. And so it's it's really useful to be able to know the actual cultivar rather than just planting, you know, whatever somebody gives you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you can actually taste and see the fruit from the plant that you might take a cutting from a friend's garden, um, then you're ahead of the game, at least there. Even better. Yes. Mm -hmm. I haven't had a fig that I didn't like. I'll say that. (laughs) Some are sweeter than others, certainly. Um, And of course, all different colors on the outside and inside, but, um, you know, you, you just can't buy fresh figs very easily. And so it's just such a treat to have this tree in your garden. And the other thing that's so fabulous about figs is they're just easy to grow. And we spend a lot of time helping people deal with problems um, having to do with peach, peaches and apples being planted. Uh, I think a lot of people plant fruits that they really like to eat, but they haven't researched them and, and, you know, realized that they might have some pretty significant pest problems. So we're always promoting figs because they are really pretty easy to grow. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll grow well anywhere in Maryland, given the right amount of protection. Mm -hmm. And I think throughout the mid-Atlantic region, Except for, you know, maybe the coldest part of a mountain <laughs> top. Yeah, that would be a little tough. You might yeah. need to give it a little protection there, maybe do it in a container and bring it in the garage or a protected area. Yeah, exactly. If, that would be the way to go. Yeah. Yes. If you were like a zone five or something, maybe. Yeah. Um, then you might do protection, which does bring up that figs are perfectly good in a container, a large container. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, it's funny. I grew figs, uh, well, two uh, plants in half whiskey barrels because I just figured, you know, to be able to get a decent amount of figs, I was going to need a large container. And of course, it did allow the tree to grow larger. But um, when it came time to pull that plant out to get it into the garage, it was quite difficult. And um, the other thing that I did wrong the first year was you know, just placing a container right on the ground. And so the roots grow, grew through the bottom <laughs> of the whiskey barrel into the ground and made it super difficult. You know, I had to sever the root and then turn that whiskey barrel on its side and yank it out. It was extremely heavy. Got Finally got it in a wheelbarrow, each mm. one separately and got them in my garage. But that's just too much work. And I haven't done this, but I've seen it um, in a number of places, people growing in containers as small as five gallons, but I think like 10 to 15 gallon containers are a nice size, uh, still can get a little bit heavy, especially 15 gallon, but it'll give you a larger, um, you know, maybe you can then grow one or two um, stems that'll get six to eight feet tall and produce a pretty good number of figs. Mm -hmm. So since we're talking about containers and those thick roots, um, yeah. let's talk about planting. So you got yeah. your baby um, cutting that has rooted and you take it out of its big pot and you want to put it in the ground instead of yeah. in a container. Any planting tips? Full sun is number one. A lot of people are who who are failing with figs just have them in a place where they're not getting enough sun or trees have grown and are shading the fig that used to be productive mm. um, really any decent soil i would amend it with some compost but figs will grow in fairly poor soil they don't like wet feet so you want to make sure the soil drains well um, one thing i noticed when i was working in baltimore city in the Greek um, neighborhood uh, in East Baltimore, a number of people had um, cor had corrugated metal that they drove into the ground, maybe three feet out from the base of their fig trees, basically to try to limit the root growth because mm -hmm. fig roots will grow far and wide, um, you know, and, and that can be a problem. And it actually, in some cases, especially if the soil is extra rich, it can lead to a lot of uh, nice top growth, but not a lot of figs. So in those cases, you can try to, you know, contain the root system or root prune, you know, just drive a spade into the soil, um, you know, in a, in a circumference around a, uh, a fig plant. Hmm. That's great advice. Yeah, I'd always heard of how greedy the roots are around yeah. a fig yeah. and that you should never plant anything in competition with it. So it yeah. wants to be yeah. fairly below, right below the surface, like just below the surface, uh, the roots are staying in that zone. And that if you planted, say, a ground cover around it or try to mm -hmm. put perennials underneath, then you're robbing the nutrients from the tree. Yeah, it usually is best to just have it in its own location. Some people, if you're lucky enough to have a south-facing wall, that's a nice you know location for a fig in terms of um, keeping it from getting so cold mm -hmm. uh, I'm around the tree. Yeah, so let's talk about some of that cold tolerance. So mm -hmm. 
a normal winter, if we ever have one here in the mid-Atlantic, <laughs> um, if the fig is one or two years old, you might want to give it some protection, right? And then after that, it's probably okay on its own. Yeah, it just, it so much depends on the variety, the location, and the kind of weather, winter we're having. But I think that's actually very sound advice to protect it for a few years. Um, even though we had the warmest, I don't know if last winter was the warmest on record or one of the warmest for sure in the mid-Atlantic, we still had that very hard um, freeze uh, period in, mm-hmm. in late December, early January. So you, you got to just count on extremes uh, being the norm. And so it can get very cold. So any temperatures down below 20 degrees Fahrenheit can injure wood. Um, younger wood is going to be more susceptible. So right, covering plants um, when they're young is especially important. And I like to just mound chopped up leaves around it, maybe put like mm-hmm. a little um, upside down tomato cage and stuff that with the leaves. How do you like to protect your tender figs? Uh, I've done different things. I have pulled, I mentioned when I grew up in New York, I would see that, um, that a lot of gardeners would, they had, they would maintain their figs, fig trees so that they were um, practicing like renewal pruning. So they never had stems that were over two or three years old. So they were more supple and they could tie them together, cover them with a tarp or a blanket, and then pin them to the ground. And then even then you could cover that further with leaves if you wanted to. So I've, I've done that. Mostly what I've done is what you've mentioned, Kathy, is I've just gotten neighbors, bags of neighbors' leaves and just piled the bags around my fig tree sometimes you know doing it in a pyramidal kind of form so that they're bags on top of bags um, too high and and that's worked out pretty well I've also tried to surround the plant with um, you know chicken wire and filled it in with leaves there are lots of ways some people use actually um, you know insulating material bubble wrap and things like that um whatever will you know prevent the temperatures from getting so low and actually you're you're really cutting down the amount of wind Mm. cold wind hitting the tree the one downside of all these winter protection methods is you gotta kind of be careful that you're not setting up a nice cozy home for voles because i i've had that happen where they've just gotten in around the base of the tree, all comfy with that leaf protection. And in the spring, pull all that away. And you see my the entire base of my tree was girdled. And it Yikes. didn't kill the tree, but it was gnawed continuously all the way around the base of the tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point to maybe on one of those mild winter days, like when it gets to 60 or something, yeah. maybe go in there and pull back the surrounding material and just inspect mm-hmm. it sure. maybe so we have had a couple freak winters where the figs have almost died all the way back to the ground um in the last 10 years i can remember one blizzard sure. where people were saying their figs are just gone they're dead yeah. and the great thing about figs you know we've talked about <laughs> many great things about figs yeah but they're pretty root hardy yes um so all the top growth might die you might need to remove it 
but you'll get the plant will probably still return. I I think maybe one time to, somebody told me that their fig was completely killed, hmm. but that's in 30 years. And so you're right. They, they will always come back from the roots. And of course, the problem is that those shoots that come back in that next growing season won't have enough time typically to mature the crop. Um, and so you'll get figs forming. It's very frustrating, but um, they, they won't produce um, figs that will mature in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think even that happens sometimes when we have a late frost and then in the spring and then an early frost in the winter, depending on the type of uh, figs you have, you might not get ripe figs that year. Yeah, yeah, that can happen. This past year, I um, I did cover, I, I whacked my my tree back. And like a lot of people, mine is, you know, multi-stemmed. I have probably uh, five or six you know, hefty stems that are three or four inches in diameter. And I cut them back and um, just so that there's less exposed wood that, that, that I can't protect. But this past year, it was a hard enough freeze in December that um, when I, I, you know, took a razor and cut through the bark in the spring to see, you know, if my um, stems were, alive or dead and I saw green tissue, but it took a long time for the buds to break from those, you know, overwintered stems. Mm -hmm. And that really delayed um, growth and it delayed fruiting. And so one tip when something like that happens, and even if we don't have a hard winter, it's really good to cut back shoots in the spring and to force branching. There's some thinking that that could also um, hasten ripening, but I don't know that there's any research that really uh, can can verify that. Hmm. Yeah, and pruning figs is such a complicated topic, and we'll go over that in a little bit, okay. but also such an easy topic, <laughs> because I think you can cut back figs, and they are so forgiving almost any time of year, right? And almost whacking away if it's getting too big or too tall or taking back whole yeah. sections all the way to the ground. And the plant is not going to die. If you did that to, say, an apple tree um, right. or other fruit tree, that's not going to be as forgiving. Good point. Right. You, you can do just about anything to a fig and it's going to survive and it'll continue to produce figs. So what is your best advice for pruning? Like, when do you get out there and, and cut back yours? Sure. So, um, the, the I mean, number one is to make sure you don't have any, that, you, that your stems aren't crowded. And if they are, you may need to remove one. Um, you want to remove any crossing branches, any um, shoots that are growing up in the middle of the plant and aren't going to get enough sun, you know, they're, they're going to be weak, you know, just to take all of those out. In fact, unless you're um, going to be selecting new shoots from the root system uh, to become new, you know, main stems, you really want to remove all of those shoots uh, in the spring. And then I, I just mentioned um, pinching, and I think that can be useful. So with new shoots, um, pinching back uh, the tips will, you know, just promote branching and should lead to more fruiting. So 
the shoots I'm talking about now are shoots that are growing off of the main stems, not, you know, new suckers or shoots coming from the ground. Uh, these are the shoots that are breaking off the, the wood, you know, that was formed in previous years. So those shoots, uh, if they're pinched or cut back, uh, they'll branch and you should get more production. And are you cutting back to a growth node or bump or just above it or just below it? Yeah, just just above um, a node would be would be fine. Hmm. And if the node is inward facing, it will probably send growth that direction into the into the tree. And if the growth the growth node is outward facing, similar to roses, hopefully you're directing it out uh, to grow outside the main tree. Correct. Right. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, it takes a little bit to like. At least with figs, the growth nodes are a bump and very noticeable. Mm -hmm. Like you can just run your thumb over, you can see them pretty plainly with your eyes. With some other fruit trees and and other trees, you really have to look for those growth nodes. Sure. Yep. Hmm. And so I was going to say another great attribute of figs that we didn't talk about yet is you only need one, right? So a lot of other fruit trees you need a male and a female, or sometimes you need it to be grafted onto another hardier rootstock of that yep. same variety. But figs are on their own roots. And right. they'll, like we said, they die back and they'll come back on them. But also, they don't need to cross-pollinate. Right. They're parthenocarpic. I mean, the common figs that are grown throughout Maryland and most of the country um, are parthenocarpic they don't need to be pollinated and so you know the fig is this weird the fruit is a weird fruit stem that then sort of encompasses the um the flowering parts the the reproductive parts and um so inside the fig you can actually see tiny little um female flowers they don't need pollination they're they are able to produce fruit without that Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people have heard maybe from National Geographic Channel or something like that or watched an online video and seen these figs that need this specialized wasp yeah. uh, to be with them. But that's not the case, I believe, of the varieties we're growing. Right, right. Those would be the Smyrna figs or the San Pedro figs. Um, there you need the, the Capra fig is a separate fig tree that has male flowers and there's a little wasp that uh, moves the pollen from the capra fig over to the uh, Smyrna figs. And that those are grown mostly in California. And those would be probably, if you do see fresh figs in the store, uh, they might be those um, Smyrna figs. That's true. Occasionally at some of the high-end grocery stores, you might see some fresh figs. Occasionally at the farmer's market, somebody local might have extra that they're selling jump on them if you see them (laughs) (laughs) very short season right um and then the only other way i think people encounter figs um maybe in a jar like jar uh Mm -hmm. jam or as fig newtons and then they (laughs) they eat a fig newton as a kid and they think that's what a fig is so i don't want any more and maybe you like the fig newton or you're like yeah right but 
that's not let's describe uh, the experience of a fresh fig john so yeah. when you pick oh. it off the tree oh what are you gosh. looking for for a ripe fig well what are you looking it, for? so you know people say the the um the neck of the fig should be a little bit limp or softened i look at color and basically i just put my fingers on the fig and i can tell if it's near ripe or it's fully ripe and of course if it's fully ripe i'm bringing it in but one one thing I've learned, Kathy, uh, not, just in recent years, is that they will continue to sweeten and ripen mm-hmm. and develop aroma if you pull them when they're just nearly ripe but not fully ripe. So if you're concerned about ants getting through that little hole at the end of the fig or there's rain coming, um, go ahead. And those figs that are fully colored but they're not you – know, you, they, there's some give there, but they're not fully ripe. I would pull them and on the counter, they will continue to ripen for the next 12 to 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think officially they're ripe already, but they're, they'll soften a little for you um, yeah. on the counter. And then I, the things I look for is kind of that droop that you talked about mm-hmm. the neck yeah. bend, bends over also that they have a little bit like of the sticky sap on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, that little hole coming out that tells yeah. me that's ripe. And I've, you know, I've picked some unripe, not quite ripe figs yeah, and eat, yeah. eaten them. It hasn't yeah. hurt me. <laughs> no, no, they don't have yeah. any flavor, but they won't kill you. That's right. Mm-hmm. They're fine. And so let's jump to the ways that we like to enjoy figs. And then we'll talk about some of our favorite varieties and the ones that okay. are available yeah. in our area. So, um, I'm assuming you like to just eat it straight off the tree. We, we eat a lot of figs, mm-hmm. a lot of figs. And then I also learned not too many years ago that they freeze beautifully. And so we'll um, just rinse them underwater um, for food safety reasons and uh, just pat them with paper towels. And I don't flash freeze them. I'll just put them in a bag and uh, put them in the freezer and they've come out fine. Now you can, you know, put them on a cookie sheet, separate them and put them in the freezer. And that way they'll, they won't be all glommed together when you defrost them. But the texture and the flavor was really surprisingly good. I mean, to use them in cakes or puddings or jams or, you know, something along those lines. Hmm. Yeah. I never thought of freezing them because I would have thought, you know, they would have crystallized or get something. So that's great to know if you have a bumper crop of figs mm-hmm. and you actually have extra, you don't consume them all straight off the tree, which I tend to do. <laughs> yeah. So um, one way uh, a friend of mine's um, father, who's from Italy, he would go out in the garden with a piece of white bread you know, loaf of white bread, and he would just smash the figs and have just fig sandwiches. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so that's the way he enjoyed them. And they weren't coming in the house even. He was standing out there eating them. That um, is funny. Yeah. My favorite way is with like a soft cheese on a cracker. So some sure. type of like soft, mild cheese um, smushed on, and then I smush kind of the fig on top of it. Like I'll cut the fig in half and just kind of Ooh, smash yeah. it on there. So it's oh, really good. that is good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it blends so well with some of the soft cheeses, but of Mm -hmm. course straight um, is good as well. And, you know, fig jam, if you have extra again, great way Mm -hmm. to have it. Um, And I was thinking about um, those people who have never, ever tasted a um, 
fig straight off the tree, trying to describe the flavor to them, John. So it's like a light berry flavor, I guess is the, the, maybe if they've had a kiwi kind of like that. You know, there are different figs that are described that way as having mm-hmm. more of a berry flavor. I, I, I think it's pretty unique. Um, the, the skin is, of course, has, there's that texture contrast between the skin and the pulp. Um, and uh, it's just so unique. I don't, I don't know that I, <laughs> I have words to compare it to other fruits, but um, there are people that do not like figs. They really don't like them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the breakdown is in the general population, but um, yeah, it's got a wonderful texture. It's very fresh. It's very refreshing. It's um, sweet. Uh, you know, some are sweeter than others, but it's really quite unique um, among mm-hmm. fruits. Yeah, and it almost has sometimes a little crunchiness, you know, in the texture. Depends mm-hmm. on, on the variety. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, overall sweet. I think if you like apricots, peaches, any of the like soft stone fruits, you're going to like figs. I um, would like... hope so. Yes. <laughs> so um, we talked a little bit about that myth of the wasp that has to fertilize all figs and we know it's just for the, those couple varieties yeah. but how do you deal with the wasps and hornets <laughs> that love to be around yeah. that ripening fruit you have to again you just have to be out there once or twice a day i mean if you really want your figs um and you can i would suggest trying to go out twice a day when they're really coming in and just recognize you're not going to get them all. There are lots of, uh, you know, yellow jackets and wasps and uh, that, that will get your fruit. Um, now, squirrels are a whole nother story because I have squirrels in my neighborhood, in my landscape. They get into my vegetable garden where my fig tree is. For some reason, they leave it alone. And I know fig growers, gardeners who... Um, have a heck of a time with squirrels. I knew this one gentleman in Baltimore who actually uh, made little uh, paper coverings for each individual fig. There was a drawstring at the top and he would protect his figs with these little paper bags with the drawstring. And he swore to me that he saw the figs out of his window, untying the drawstrings. Oh, the squirrels. (laughs) Now, whether that's (laughs) a tall tale or not, I don't know. But um, so a lot of people do end up having to cover their figs. I know in Baltimore that was common Mm -hmm. uh, to keep the squirrels off them using some type of uh, bird netting or whatever, you know, that would keep squirrels out. Mm-hmm. And I think not just squirrels, but birds, yeah, um, birds. can really decimate a, a fig tree. And yes. in general, like you said, you just get out there and try to pick them as soon as they're ripe enough for you. Mm-hmm. And then maybe the critters get some of them. Um, but it probably also depends on your local population and how hungry they are. So mm-hmm. maybe yeah. your squirrels, John, they have other things to eat. <laughs> yeah. And in the inner city, right. Baltimore, they're like waiting for those figs because they don't have much else to eat. But yeah, that could very well be. And you can also, ta- if you are troubled by ants that'll crawl into the little hole at the bottom, you can tap the fruits and they're just going to run out and you can brush them off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've just usually will put them in a bowl of water mm-hmm. in the sink for a second and, and the ants will be out then um, or just shake them out, like you said, yeah. easy enough. 
Um, and yeah, extra protein if they don't all get out. <laughs> so, just, a true gardener has spoken. Yeah. <laughs> so um, let's talk about the best varieties for our region and yeah. then maybe some of the more unusual ones you can get a hold of. So we always hear, I think, brown turkey is usually the top of the list. Yeah, brown turkey, hardy Chicago, Celeste. We, we recommend those on our website. But there are others um, that are reported to be cold hardy by different growers uh, you know, around the country. So uh, a few of these are Black Mission. Uh, which is a little larger than brown turkey and darker, the color of the fig. Um, Kadota, green ischia. Um, LSU has some pretty good varieties that are cold hardy. LSU purple um, and LSU tiger. Uh, Adriatic, Brunswick, Marseille, Osborne. Those are some that um, we've either had reports of people in Maryland being very happy with them or, you know, looking at um, recommendations from other reliable sites and, and universities, we feel pretty confident that those are going to be good varieties. And that's just a very small number. There are hundreds and hundreds of fig varieties. And so um, if you're really into them and you have the room, the sky's the limit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen those LSU tigers. They're so beautiful. Mm-hmm. You have that beautiful streaking on them. Yeah. And I'm trialing right now in my garden, Little Miss Figgy. So, oh, like, that's so funny. Yeah. yeah, we just got a question about a Little <laughs> Miss Figgy. I'll be curious about that. Yeah. So you have it in a container, I guess. Yeah. So that okay. one I'm keeping in a large container. Yeah. Um, and it's its second year now. And I've only gotten a couple fruits the last two years. So yeah. it's first year I just got two. This year I just got two. So it's, it's a small plant. It's meant to be mm-hmm. a dwarf container fig. I haven't had yeah. to prune it at all. I haven't done sure. anything else. Haven't fertilized it. So because it's in a container, that was going to be my question for you, John, is do you think I should be fertilizing it for more fruit production? Probably. And I don't know, you know, I guess it depends on the kind of fertilizer you use. If you use a dry fertilizer, you may only have to fertilize um, maybe twice during the growing season. Mm -hmm. If you're using a liquid more frequently, um, but yeah, container figs are going to need to be fertilized. Yeah. I was thinking like a slow release um mm-hmm. type of one with that I would just apply that once or twice and that's probably why and I've not been very kind to this little Miss Figgy because <laughs> I'm want to trial it for hardiness and keep it out in that container in winter so <laughs> it stayed yeah. out there and it's been fine um yeah. if it was a really harsh winter this winter maybe I'll move it you know up against a brick wall and give it a little bit better mm-hmm. protection yeah so um, any final fig advice or what would you say to somebody who's never grown a fig out there? You got to try it. Um, ask people in your neighborhood who have figs um, about the possibility of getting a cutting. If they have a really healthy plant that's producing well, um, you, know, you can go online and, and learn more about them. But if you've got an area and you can contain figs, I mean, they do like to spread out, but you can prune them to contain them. So if you have an area that's at least, um, you know, I would say 10 feet by five feet or so uh, would be a, a good size area, then I, I think it's just a great plant um, to have in your landscape. Mm-hmm. 
And how would people contact you or find out more, John? Sure. So if they just, um, in any search engine they, they like to use, just enter UMD space HGIC. You will have the Home and Garden Information Center come up high in the search. Um, so we're Home and Garden Information Center. And um, we do have a FIG page with um, you know some information that, that'll be helpful. There are also some real um, very active, exuberant um, fig growers out there. So folks that have developed a little bit of a following, they have a website. These are people that are growing dozens and dozens of different uh, types of fig trees. They have videos and there's some very good information, you know, from people that are super into figs. So definitely check, check those out as well. I saw one I was following um, yesterday and today, Fig Boss. F-I-G-B-O-S-S dot com. So it's a fellow in um, in the Philly area. And I mean, he's growing hundreds of varieties and he's got a lot of very interesting um, information. He's deep into it. He researches the information and uh, it's really fun to see that level of, you know, intensity around figs because that's how we all learn new things. You know, people that are super into it and sharing their their knowledge excellent well thank you for sharing your knowledge john and for encouraging more fig growers out there it's my pleasure it's great speaking with you kathy cleome plant profile spider flowers cleome hasseleriana is an annual flower that blooms in midsummer to early fall. It is also known as grandfather's whiskers and spider legs. The flowers are usually pale to dark pink, purple, or white. The foliage is palm-shaped and the stems are somewhat spiky. It is native to South America and is hardy to USDA zones 10 to 11. It can grow to several feet tall, depending on the variety. It is surprisingly sturdy and normally doesn't need staking. There are more than 180 kinds of Cleome, including the fragrant Rose Queen and the compact Linda Armstrong. Senorita Rosalita is a newer introduction that is thornless, odorless, and sterile. Cleome does best in full sun and well-draining soils. They are fairly drought tolerant and do not need fertilizing. They will die after being hit by a frost. Hummingbirds, butterflies, and other pollinators are highly attracted to this plant. Some theorize that bats are the main pollinator of it in its native tropical habitat. Cleome are easy to start from seeds, and they are prolific reseeders. Cleome, you can grow that. new in the garden this week? Well, I noticed that my milkweed pods have burst open and are sending their cottony fluffs out into the world over the community garden plot. Still have lots of zucchini and peppers producing and a few cherry tomatoes as well. And we got in some cool season crop seeds, 
including our black Spanish radish, Danvers carrots, and two different types of arugula. In the local gardening world, a couple of events you might want to attend include Seed Saving Basics and Beyond, a workshop for all skill levels on Saturday, September 30th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. The workshop is Ultimate Suburban Seed Safari. It's an outdoor event at a covered area in Clinton, Maryland. There's a fee of $20 and you can register for it through Eventbrite. And it's all about understanding and exploring seed collecting in a natural suburban environment. And then on Saturday, October 7th at 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m., I am giving a talk for Brookside Gardens on their virtual Zoom format, and that is Elevating Your Garden with Unusual Bulbs, Rhizomes, and Tubers. So if you're tired of the same old, same old display and want to have some set it and forget it plants for your garden, join me for this talk. If you can't attend it live online, it will be recorded and available for registrants to watch afterwards. The fee is $15 and you can register for it at activemontgomery.org. The program code is PBG0116. And coming up a week or so after that on October 13th and October 14th at the Joppa Grand Market in Joppa, Maryland is the Baltimore African Violet Club two-day autumn sale. And so they'll have African violets and many of their Gisnerian cousins for sale. You can find out more about that at BaltimoreAfricanVioletClub.org. Happy gardening! In the new book, The Urban Garden by Kathy Jensen Terry Spade, you'll find dozens of inspiring and creative ways to grow flowers, shrubs, vegetables, herbs, and other plants in small spaces and with a limited budget. Whether you want to grow on a balcony, rooftop, front stoop, or a tiny urban patio, turn your growing dreams into reality and build a gorgeous and unique garden that showcases your personal style while still being functional and productive. With the ingenious ideas and resourceful tactics found here, you'll be maximizing yields and beauty from every square inch of your space while also making a lush outdoor living area you'll crave spending time in. Whether you're growing edible plants or beautiful flowers, the 101 amazing growing ideas found in the urban garden will turn your tiny urban yard into a treasure trove of green you'll be proud to share with family and friends. Buy your copy today at your local retail bookseller or order it online now at amazon.com or bookshop.org. Get low-maintenance alternative to lawns with the new book, Ground Cover Revolution, by Kathy Jentz. Reducing the lawn is among the biggest trends in homeownership, with an endless stream of homeowners looking for an eco-friendly alternative to a traditional, everyday grass lawn. In the last few years alone, over 23 million American adults converted part of the lawn to a natural landscape, and now are looking to do even more. The biggest challenge to adopting this new ideal of perfect lawn is knowing how and when to replace your turf and which plants are the best ones for the job. Ground Cover Revolution is here with all the answers you need. Included are 40 in-depth profiles of plants that are perfect choices for replacing a grass lawn. 
There are options for sun, for shade, for dry and wet sites, and for various climates around the globe. There are choices that bloom, options that are evergreen, and selections that are deer resistant. Author Kathy Jens has also included an incredibly useful chart that gives you all the details on each of the 40 choices for quick reference and to make your ground cover selection process even easier. Whether you want to replace the entire lawn or just reduce the amount of land dedicated to turf, Ground Cover Revolution will help you usher in a new and improved idea of what a beautiful lawn should be. Available at bookstores now and also at Quarto.com, where you can get 30% off using discount code GARDENING30. Well, good day, everybody. It's Dr. A back in the garden with his last word. Actually, the more I think about it, it's anything but the last word on critters. Let me tell you, I am fighting a losing battle, of course, with all sorts of critters in my garden. And I'm not even talking about deer. That's for another day. But let's talk about all those cute little rats with tails, that is squirrels and chipmunks. Now, I don't mind squirrels. I understand that if I put out sunflower seeds for my birds, the squirrels like them as much, and I've got to do things about it. So, okay, I've, I've started with getting squirrel-proof feeders. And they work pretty well, these squirrel-proof feeders. They actually are called just that. And, you know, when a squirrel gets on it, it goes down and if they can't get the seeds. But what the manufacturers forgot is that chipmunks, are they, they weigh a tenth of what a squirrel weighs, so they get on there and nothing happens. They just have a grand old time. So that's okay. I've, I've learned to live with it. So I've got, a, you know, baffles and everything else to keep the squirrels from climbing the pole, little realizing that they can jump about 300 feet. And so from a tree branch somewhere, they can jump to the pole on which this feeder is hung and still get in okay so then i go the next step and i <laughs> so, so then i go the next step and we've got cayenne pepper so the squirrels don't like cayenne pepper so i can buy well i can do my own thing or buy sunflower seeds with pepper and i can find all sorts of pepper related things that squirrels don't like so we're having an ongoing battle here but, you know, I guess it's, it's, I put out that stuff and then, well, what do you think? I mean, they're going to go for it. But what's really bugging me is when these darn squirrels start biting, and I mean literally taking a bite out of my tomatoes. Okay, then we're at war here. I, I plant my tomatoes, and I don't have a lot of room in my garden. I got all of two tomatoes. So when I see the fruit, and I love fresh tomatoes, I'm doing everything correct. I've got the fertilizer and the water and the sun and this, that, and the other thing. And don't the damn squirrels come along and take a chomp out of it. I mean, just one bite. Well, I know, I, I'm, not, I'm not kidding you now. Now we're at war. So, <laughs> I, you know, I can wrap the whole thing, I guess. I mean, wrap the whole plant and do whatever I do. So, But, but I've, I've, I've tried a couple of things. <laughs> so it's about these pepper things. So I made a... I made a a spritzer, you know, uh, like a Windex spritzer with with pepper juice. Uh, that is cayenne pepper, and you, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm eating it on a, heating a water, dissolving cayenne peppers, and I mean, I've even spread the peppers themselves. So that that is the the powder, cayenne powder, all over the plant, and it, it kind of works until it rains. 
and this 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 spray is good too, but I mean it's having problems. So I thought I had it licked until didn't I come out the other day, just yesterday in fact, and two big bites are gone. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I've ordered organza bags. <laughs> I don't know what an organza bag is, but there we go. Supposedly I'm going to I'm going to tie every every tomato up in this bag and hopefully the squirrels won't get it. But then again, you know, I got a friend who has figs. So squirrels don't get figs, but birds sure do. And I love my birds. So uh, <laughs> I go to his place. He's got these organza bags all over his figs. So the birds don't get them. It, it's, it, you know, I'm, and we love birds, both of us. We got, you know, the cardinals and the, oh, the cedar waxwings love figs as much as I love the cedar waxwings and, you know, vireos and bluebirds, but whatever. But it's part of gardening, and, and that, that, I don't mean to go on and on, because, hey, they, they deserve as much space as uh, we can possibly give them, but they got to stay off my tomatoes and my figs. That's all there is to it. Anyway, I know that you're enjoying the same uh, critter heaven that I am. I hope that you're having more success, and uh, it'll never be the last word, but for today, that's my last word on critters in the garden. Take care. Stay dirty. See you soon. Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter for as little as 99 cents a month by going to anchor.fm slash gardendc slash support. Another way to support this podcast is to subscribe to our monthly digital publication, Washington Gardener Magazine. To do so, go to washingtongardener.com. Thank you. You can find Washington Gardener online at WashingtonGardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardener, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine.